At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where, in spite of the ever-present Westbrook Civil War swirling around on the daily in Lakers Nation, there has been a lot to actually be excited about with the Lakers' newfound commitment to playing small and making sure they're constantly running a monk. Running a monk? Running a monk? Running a Malik monk. Get it? And of course, central to all of that, with the Lakers having won four out of their last five, is Malik Monk's scorching play, and obviously LeBron's evolution into the center. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, how you doing unrelated to any of that is, have you been watching anything recently of note that's been entertaining to you? If I've been watching any... I'm I'm doing well, thank you. Um, (laughs) I just started watching... This show on Netflix called Arcane. Have you seen this? It is very good from both an aesthetic artistic level, but also just story and character wise. Yes, I I watched Arcane and would highly recommend. Okay, so I'm only a couple episodes into it. It came off a recommendation from from a friend, but it did not seem like anything that would appeal to me. Like, I think it's based on League of Legends or the character. I don't know what the maybe the lore. I don't I have no idea, but I have no (laughs) knowledge of league of legends or i'm not you know really into that stuff and and so i thought i would hate this show um but yeah it is extremely impressive it's super the the art is just like i've never seen something like this you know it's like you're watching a moving painting at every second you're like yeah it's crazy and and the story is really good like the characters have a lot of depth the writing is really good i'm i'm super into it it's only been two episodes so far so i'm still sort of learning everything but um i'm excited about that one Yeah, I would also co-sign that. Watch Arcane. Something that I've been watching recently that's been new and hot on Netflix is Singles Inferno. Tommy, I would highly suggest watching it. (laughs) Have you actually? You have watched it? No, have you? No, I have. And I would highly suggest you and Nicole watching it. It is the perfect watch for like a couple, especially a married couple, because this is the closest thing that I've seen to Terrace House, but combined with a trashy American reality show. Uh, because they put these, and it's it's a Korean show, uh, but they put these single men and women on an island, and it's actually a very mundane version of things, but the premise is, you know, people get to choose who their partners are, and if they choose each other, they get to go, they get to spend one day or one night in paradise, which ends up being like a really nice hotel versus the survivor island that they're on. 
But I mean, the biggest, I guess the most positive aspects and rewarding aspects of the show are the same positive and rewarding aspects that you get out of Terrace House. And that's kind of like the interpersonal relationships and connections that they make and sort of the discussions that they have and sort of like, you know, the conniving sort of shady ways that people try to play the game and try and, you know, disperse their interest amongst other members of the cast while also saying you're the only one for me, right? So it's it's all that put into like the context of Asian culture, which is a lot more, you know, not risque, a lot more conservative and traditional and sort of awkward. But if you like Terrace House, Tommy, and you like interpersonal connections and, you know, psychoanalysis of <laughs> human relationships, definitely check out Singles Inferno. Um, it has been the best watch that I've had like, to start off 2022. Me and my girlfriend have just been talking about it like like crazy. So very entertaining. Um, all right, with that said, what the hell are we talking about here? We're talking about the Lakers. Shoot, my bad. Um, Tommy, let's talk about Avery Bradley really quickly. <laughs> oh, okay, told so you he was good, Avery, dude. Told you he was good. <laughs> you told me he was good. I did not listen. Okay, so Avery Bradley... Fully guaranteed now. Much deserved, actually. Um, if anybody remembers our podcast episodes from November, you will know how much we panned this guy and his utilization and how mu- how many minutes he was getting. And I actually stand by all of those things. And I still think he's probably getting played way too many minutes. But having said that, he's shooting 39% from three on the year, hitting 1.4 a game. Uh, he's been bringing the tenacity and energy on D much the same way he has all season, but it's been more consistent recently. Uh, in four games in January, he's averaging 12 points on 53% from the field, 40% from three, knocking down two threes a game. In January, he averaged, or sorry, in December, he averaged 9.3 points, 46% from the field, 48% from three, hitting two a game. So just objectively, Avery Bradley has been playing very well. Uh, my mind has changed with regards to Avery Bradley on the fact that I now believe he is a valuable rotation player and someone who should be on the team. Um, But I don't walk back any of my comments that we had in November, because if anything, with Malik Monk's rise, I would argue that if we had stopped playing Avery Bradley, the 25 minutes we were playing him in, in November, we might've gotten this Malik Monk rise earlier because Avery Bradley was still playing like 25 to 25 minutes a game and putting up zero point performances in the month of November. I think he had four zero point performances that month while still getting over 20 minutes, right? So I don't walk back any of my um, comments back then because I still felt like he should have been, his minutes should have been going to Malik Monk, THT, Wayne Ellington, Austin Reeves. But I will change my mind on the fact that he should be on this team. He shouldn't be cut and he, sh- he deserves minutes for sure. Uh, but that coincides with the fact that Avery Bradley has just been playing well. So what are your thoughts on Avery Bradley? Yeah, I am willing to eat crow when justified, and Avery Bradley has been playing very, very well. I agree with you on all the Monk stuff. Um, and frankly, I still think Avery Bradley is an overrated defender overall. Look, on our team, he is one of our better defenders because our team is severely lacking in defense. But... I still I still think he's a little bit overrated overall, and I agree with you on the Monk point, but objectively, he's been a solid player for us. He's hit threes consistently. I keep waiting for the regression. I mean, like, there's still half a season left, so maybe it'll come, but he's hitting shots from the perimeter. He's not making mistakes. He's at least competing on defense, um, and for all of that, the roster guarantee was very, very justified. Um you know, that's why we let Rondo go. And, and I think 
you know, when you're choosing between Rondo and Avery Bradley in 2022, it's just like an obvious choice. Yeah. And so I, I, the only caveat I'd put is when Kendrick Nunn returns, I would hope that he takes minutes away from Avery Bradley. Not to totally erase yeah. Avery Bradley's role, but... And he probably will, because the minutes have to come from somewhere. Exactly. Uh, so kudos and props to Avery Bradley. We told you guys, uh, this guy's good. Uh, okay, let's talk about <laughs> Stanley Johnson, because you haven't been on this podcast yet to talk about the newest acquisition. He's still currently on a 10-day contract that we're hoping will eventually be uh, turned into a fully guaranteed contract. But what have you seen from this guy who, you know, while not doing much... Just the fact that he is a rangy wing, six foot seven, he is sturdily built. People have made this comparison, but he is sort of built like Ron Artest a little bit. He is. But his intensity in terms of totally embracing his defensive assignments, the point of attack defender that we needed, like moving his feet every which way, using his length to cause havoc and even get steals and leak out into transition. That's another thing. He's really good in transition as a finisher. And then hitting the occasional three here and there, he has allowed this team to fully embrace and commit to Le Center, Microball, et cetera, et cetera, because he can play the three, he can play the four, he can guard a point guard, he can guard a wing. And so Stanley Johnson has just been a much-needed breath of fresh air in the at the wing position as Trevor Ariza continues to, you know, find his bearings. And we don't know whether he will fully find his bearings, but Stanley Johnson is almost like the younger, athletic, springier version of Ariza at this point. Yeah, Stanley Johnson has just been just very fun to watch because he is a guy that he feels such an obvious need on this team and fill such an obvious void that we had that it kind of makes you a little bit alarmed that he wasn't signed earlier or given a look earlier. I'm not even mm-hmm. talking about a roster spot because I understand those are sacred and like hard to come by, but I, I'm just talking about like a 10 day, like we signed several 10 day hardship guys before we signed Stanley Johnson. So yep. that, that disturbs me a little bit, but you know, you say six, seven, there are guys who are six eight, six nine in this league who look like they're six six on the court. And Stanley Johnson is six seven, looks like he's six ten. And he's just so solid, you know, beyond the six seven, seven foot wingspan. He's just such a physical, physically imposing looking beast out there. He's so strong for a 25 year old. And, you know, he's is being put into a situation where he can use his quickness and use his athleticism, use his defensive energy to focus on that end. Doesn't have to be, you know, a top 10 pick, uh, you know, rookie young player like he was in, in Detroit having to prove that he was worth that selection and contribute offensively and do all these things. He knows his limitations. He's taking four shots a game, but most of them are high percentage or wide open threes. He's still not converting really on the threes, but I hope, right? And I know we're going to do the one 10 day. He's on a he was on a hardship which doesn't count as a, a normal 10 day. Now he's on his first regular 10 day. We'll probably do a second regular 10 day as we, you know, start to move towards the trade deadline. But when it comes time to sign this guy, I really hope that we lock him in for this year and next year at the minimum. You know, I, I think this is a good chance to get in there while sentiment is high on both sides. Like, you know, he's happy to be back home. I think he's, he, he is from Southern California mm-hmm. and, you know, we're happy to have him and he fills a need. Even if he, I don't know what the team's going to look like next year, but even if this guy ends up being a 15th man on the bench, 
this is the type of player you could always use in, in the modern NBA. A guy who's strong with a long wingspan. This is essentially what we did with Alfonso McKinney last year, except Stanley Johnson would be even cheaper and, uh, frankly, probably better, um, at least defensively. Um, offensively, the guy, small sample size, obviously, but the guy shoots 90% from the free throw line this year is a career 76 percenter. So the shot is somewhere in there. And I just, another reason why I'm intrigued by a two-year deal with him is it locks him in for cheap as a big deep bench player next year, but also gives him a summer of working within our organization on a guaranteed contract where he will be invested in. And if he can even make a marginal, if he can even become like a league average or slightly below league average three-point shooter on wide open threes, he is going to be a very nice player for a team trying to win a championship because of everything he gives you defensively. Yeah. And I mean, he, there's a reason why he was a lotto pick, right? He is very athletic and that's some upside potential there too. In transition, he can run the floor. He can finish. You mentioned the free throw thing. I mean, he didn't end up being like the 18-point, 20-point wing scorer that people probably thought drafting him in that, that, that position. But, I mean, his effort, his defensive intensity, and again, that upside of athleticism is there. And you want to start to build that a foundational core of some sort with these younger, springier guys. And so, yeah, I've loved everything about Stanley Johnson and the way that he's made our team more versatile because you can literally plug him anywhere into any lineup and he kind of clicks into place and makes everything fit. So yeah, I hope the Lakers can lock him up to a, a longer term deal. And I mean, coming into the draft, this dude already had a ready-made NBA body. Like you didn't even need to work on the conditioning portion or, you know, player development side of his body. So, and it's only continued to be that way since he's been in the league. So uh, props to Stanley Johnson for sort of making this micro ball transition work. And so before we take it to break, Tommy, talk to me about the center, LeBron at center and, and the overall concept of how we've committed to micro ball and how there are issues defensively for sure. And we saw that in the Memphis game. Um, and there are issues boxing out wise, rebounding. We know, we know, but when we're clicking, when we've got that momentum flowing, everybody's having fun. The crowd's having fun. The players are having fun because we're hitting threes. We're leaking out into transition. We're putting an assault on the rim. And for the first time you get visions and flashes of what we envisioned from this team in the summer when we were pretty high on these acquisitions, even though we were saying, why don't we get a guy who's above six, five? We were saying that back then as well. But we were pretty high on the acquisitions of this team if they were utilized correctly, i.e. leaning into the offense, playing small, playing to our strengths, which are transition, using our shooting, using the players who can do something with the ball in their hands, but also shoot, i.e. Malik Monk, guys like Austin Reeves, etc., and most of all, slotting guys correctly. And, you know, we didn't necessarily envision LeBron James being put at center, uh, but here he is at center. Uh, Tommy, and regardless of the center and whatnot, over the last, you know, month or two, LeBron James has been on this MVP tier, three points in the, in three straight games, sorry, <laughs> 30 points in three points, <laughs> that sucks, uh, 30 points in it's three straight games, of, uh, straight games for that. <laughs> 30 points in three straight games for LeBron James, 30 points in 10 out of his last 11 games. He's shooting a Lakers career high 52.8%, highest he's ever shot in a Lakers uniform. And he's hitting a career high 2.93s a game, shooting 37%, which is his highest three-point percentage since 2013-14 with Miami. So your thoughts on LeBron James and also overall like this micro ball, 
sort of commitment and identity that we've embraced that's making the Lakers look kind of fun and dynamic even as we try to, you know, even as we wait for Anthony Davis and Kendrick Nunn to sort of solidify solidify everything into a more well-rounded team. LeBron James is, it's insane to me that he's 37 years old and is like still very clearly a top three Again, I'd say at, at worst, top, uh, you know, at best top three, at worst, even top five player in the NBA. Um, his stats across the board are just mind-blowing. I did not personally expect that we would have to be playing him this many minutes and he would have to be taking this many shots for this team to just be barely passable as average, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. But he has... He has just done such an amazing job. He's looked amazing. He's looked spry. He, yeah, of course, is getting tired within games, which is to be expected when you're playing at this level. But he's kept it up at such a elite pace for such a long time. And considering how he looked in October when he was sort of working his way into it and maybe still dealing with that, uh, his injury that he kind of started the season with, um, or injuries even, I, I've just I've been so 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 impressed with him. With respect to the LeBron at the five lineups, like you said, it opens up so much for us offensively. I actually think in most matchups against most teams, it opens up quite a bit for us defensively. Um, that said, there are smart teams who are going to know how to attack what we're doing with LeBron at the five defensively. Um, and those teams, namely teams that are elite at getting to the rim and aren't going to settle for a bunch of perimeter jump shots, those teams are going to feast against those lineups. And so this has really nothing to do with LeBron, but I hope that to the extent we continue playing LeBron at the five, which I think we should because, you know, that is our best chance of winning at least until AD comes back. We do need to balance that with some traditional five minutes. I'm not saying significant or whatever. I'm just saying like LeBron at the five is LeBron at the five and, and that's going to have its results, but we can't play the dude 48 minutes. And we also cannot play Carmelo Anthony at the five for huge stretches of time. So well, it, it, it's, it's wild that you have to pull Frank Vogel's, you know, leg to do this because he is the guy who typically always goes for a traditional five, but all of a sudden, since we've, since we've made this shift, it's almost like pulling hairs out to get this dude to be a little bit more balanced and less rigid and less black and white about things. But that is the story with Frank Vogel. Yeah. yeah for yeah. better or for worse. Oh, and last thing, sorry, I'll say about LeBron is career high, 78.5% free throw percentage. Yeah, um, that's which is been nuts. Huge. You know what I mean? And, and it's it's been huge. And I don't know, I mean, I... Ha I wish I paid more attention to this the last two to three years, but I feel like he has changed his routine at the free throw line. Like he grabs mm. the ball, he takes like one power dribble and just shoots it. And I feel like he used to hold it a lot longer. And and I don't know if that's like a conscious thing, but whatever he's doing, it's working. You know, he, he had had three down years from his career averages uh, his first three years with the team. And this year, 78.5%. I mean, again, half the season, maybe it won't hold. But even if he holds at like 75%, that would be like the highest he shot since, uh, you know, the Miami days. Yeah, no, for sure. That's that's a good point and something that I'll pay closer observation to. And the other thing with LeBron James at center, he does look more rejuvenated 
and he does have a spirit and hop in his step when he's playing at that position because on defense, I mean, he's been roaming around everywhere, blocking shots, getting steals, taking it the full length of the court. I mean, he has been I think <laughs> dunking it's... like an insane animal. I don't know. It, it, it's, it seems like it's fun for him, but I'm telling you, Tommy, and this is, I'll caveat things, and the Memphis game was sort of a kind of foreshadowing of things to come once you get to play more competitive teams, but... It's fun when you're playing against the bad teams, obviously, but then it takes a toll on you when you're playing against the good teams who actually rebound the ball, who can pierce your defense uh, in the paint particularly, and then you have teammates who aren't boxing out or rebounding the ball. But for right now, against the lesser opponents, like we mentioned, like it's LeBron at his most elite. You know, It showcases his best qualities. Well, and playing LeBron at the five requires the other four guys on the court to really collectively decide we need to keep our man in front of us. And that's been sort of the frustrating thing against some of these teams that have kind of picked apart the LeBron at the five lineups is like Avery Bradley, Stanley Johnson, Russell Westbrook, uh, Malik Monk, you know, at least and Malik Monk, by the way, who is probably on paper, people would look at that and be like, that's the, your weak link. He's been significantly improving, but those other three guys, like, your job is to stand there. I mean, like, especially in the case of Stanley Johnson and Avery Bradley, your job on offense is to stand there and hit open shots. So on defense, you need to be staying in front of your man. I mean, there really can't be any excuses. I know there's, like, John Morant is just a complete exception to all these rules because he's so athletic and so quick, um, and nobody can stay in front of him. But... You know, it it the the other players need to step up if we're going to stick with LeBron at the five. Yeah, the players need to step up, but as you alluded to earlier, the front the the coaching also needs to step up because it wasn't Stanley Johnson's fault that he was not inserted back into the you know yes. final minutes of the first half or whatever. It wasn't Dwight Howard's fault that he wasn't inserted into the game at all till like the end of the third quarter or even the fourth quarter, right? So in in conjunction with with each other the collective has to be better on that end and i think as we're starting to understand ourselves in this micro ball new frontier that we're going on i think it'll slowly start to click into place and especially once anthony davis comes back to sort of um band-aid everything over uh with that said speaking of going in the right direction i want to talk to you in 2022 about going in the right direction with your mental health and talk about the blindsided podcast New year, new great podcast to listen to. And with the insane year that we just came out of, pandemic year two, I believe it's important to start 2022 off right with a good state of mind. And so enter the Blindsided Podcast, the Player Tribune's first ever mental health podcast. Hosted by former NHL goalie Corey Hirsch and psychiatrist Dr. Diane McIntosh, the Blindsided Podcast will share and analyze the very moments for a variety of athletes when everything changed for them and what happened when it did. The podcast lets listeners hear these athletes describe moments when mental health became the most important focus in their lives. The Blindsided Podcast then dives in deeper. It gets clinical, and it allows listeners to leave with an understanding of the different varieties of mental health challenges people face, why they appear, and how athletes in particular face them when down. Blindsided is a sports podcast not only for people who follow sports, but also for those who just care about their mental health and want to hear from some of the most successful people in the business. This season guests include Kevin Love, Paul Bissonette, and Kurt Warner. 
So join them all, clear your head, and allow for a collective, empathetic therapy podcast session to fill your next hour with the Blindsided Podcast. All right, so we're back. To close this episode, Tommy, I wanted to talk about Malik Monk, Leek, as people call him. I had no idea that's what they called him. I was like, who's Lick? <laughs> Anyways. Leek. Um, Leek. Um, over the last two LA weeks Leakers. since being... LA Leakers, exactly. The best, the second best player on the team since Christmas, essentially. Over the last two weeks since being inserted into the starting lineup, and this doesn't even include his 20-point Christmas Day game because he came off the bench, and also includes last night's stinker, Malik Monk is still averaging, over the last two weeks, 20 points, three rebounds, two assists, on 51% from the field, 48% from three, hitting 3.6 a game, averaging a steal a game, and get this, Tommy, 1.3 blocks. Yeah, that's nuts. He has 10 blocks in his last eight games. He has never, he has never, I'm almost certain, I haven't looked this up, but he has never had a stretch like this defensively, defensive stats-wise, I'm almost certain. Um, What have your thoughts been, what have your thoughts been on Malik Monk? Because he is the one who's sort of, outside of the center, LeBron being at center, he's the one who's sort of gotten this train chugging with his elite shooting and efficiency. This is about as good as we could have expected to get out of this Malik Monk minimum signing. You know, like we all kind of always will have our rose tinted, you know, or purple and gold tinted glasses when it comes to free agent signings. But when you sort of looked at this guy's career trajectory, and I'm talking about like back even when he was in high school, he was a super highly rated recruit coming out of high school, obviously went to Kentucky. You know, I believe he was on... The one year he was on Kentucky, he was teammates with um, uh, De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox, exactly. And I think De'Aaron Fox sort of overshadowed him a little bit, but notwithstanding the overshadowing, was still a super high draft pick of the Charlotte Hornets and was essentially almost immediately written off as a bust. And this is the unfortunate thing about coming in where your primary abilities are you know, as a shooter, every rookie with very few exceptions, every rookie comes in shooting horrifically. I don't know what it is, but you know, the pace of the game makes them tired. Trey young, you know, was like, I obviously put up those absurd numbers when he was in Oklahoma and came in and shot like 25% or even worse for, you know, over the course of his first season ended up at 32% from three, but for like half that year was shooting in the, in the high twenties from three, um, and that doesn't mean somebody's a bad shooter, but unfortunately, when you're taken that high in the draft, that's what, how people are going to judge you. So I think he was written off, and then, he, of course, he had some injuries and whatever. Charlotte was a bottom feeder for many of those years, and I think he was just sort of written off. Um, but if you kind of looked at his numbers, second half of last season it seemed like he'd sort of turned a corner and he was starting to more consistently have good games and his numbers were starting to climb up and everything sort of seemed like, you know, this is a guy who's still very young, by the way, he's 23. I mean, there, Austin Reeves is 23. He was drafted this year. A lot of guys were, you know, I forget the guy that we wanted. Chris, uh, Chris, Chris Duarte. Is it like older than Malik Monk? You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> you know, he's still a very young player, but you sort of, sort of saw the turn happening that all, young player most young players eventually have and so what we were hopeful of was that we could sort of capture that get him at just the right time and have him continue that positive trajectory up 
and he has just met and exceeded any expectation that I could have ever had. I mean, I thought this dude was going to come in and have a chance to compete for minutes. I think one or maybe even both of us had him as a projected starter um, with the 80 at the five lineups, you know what I mean? And or a potential at least uh, starter in, in the 80 at the five lineups that because we thought that highly of his athleticism and his perimeter shooting, he's continued to evolve as a defensive player uh, he's free throw percentage is he's the best free throw shooter on our team. Um, you know, playmaking, he's a combo guard. We don't really ask him to do a lot of that, but he can do it a little bit. And, and like you said, the shot blocking, the athleticism, the shooting, I mean, it's just like on so many levels, he's been so elite for how poorly he started the season shooting from the perimeter. He's 40% overall, uh, from the season, uh, from three on the season right now. And that's only going to continue to climb, and I just, you know, he still is a combo guard. Um, I should say a slightly undersized combo guard. He is maybe still not known as necessarily being a very good defender. Maybe he's still carrying a little bit of that rep from his first few years. And all of this is a way to, of saying, I really hope that because of those reasons, we are able to lock him down this summer maybe using the mini MLE to try to retain him and keep him on the team for another year and try to get his early board rights going into the following summer where we can keep him at maybe a more appropriate level, um, salary level. Uh, but this dude is still young. The future is very, very bright as we've seen, especially as Laker fans, as we've seen, it is not the case that guys who can hit consistently 40% threes, just like show up at your doorstep. Like it's hard to get those guys in. And when you get them and especially guys who can hit them as creating for themselves, can hit them off the catch, can hit them in a variety of ways. You got to keep those guys. And I really, really hope we're able to keep Malik. Yeah. One can dream. I don't think that's going to happen, but I will, I will absolutely be in the present to reap the benefits and rewards of taking a one-year rental on this guy because we are tapping into his upside to the fullest extent and he may be undersized but most most guards his size do not have the athleticism that he has and for the first time it seems like things are firing on all cylinders for him because he's starting to use his athleticism on the defensive end how, how else do you explain these blocks that come out of nowhere all yeah. of a sudden you know and then on the offensive end, yeah, he's hitting these threes, these step-back threes. He loves that behind-the-back dribble move into a step-back, whether it's from three or the mid-range. As you see him, like, heating up from three, defenses are so honed in on him that you watch the way that he attacks closeouts now. It's, like, yeah. so lethal, right? Because yeah. he can dunk all over your face or he'll throw the lob to Dwight Howard, right? And yep. so he just becomes so much more of a lethal weapon on every aspect on the court. And it's just been so fun and dynamic to watch because even at the early start of the season— even when he was hitting his threes here and there, I, I was always wondering, like, when are we going to get the slam dunk champion version of Malik Monk, you know? But now we're getting everything all at once. And yeah. it's just like, this is this is freaking fun to watch. And I hope it, it persists and continues because we found something here with this LeBron James and Malik Monk two-man game thing. And we should not go away from it because the dude can handle the ball. The dude can pop out for three. He can be fading away, flailing this way or that way, contorting his body. He can be contorting his body for these ridiculous reverse layups and getting and ones. You know, it doesn't matter. The, the guy can kind of do everything. And if, you, if, if this guy was Zach Levine's size, he'd be Zach Levine, right? But anyways, huge props to Uptown Monk. He's going to give it to you. Tommy, let's close our episode really quickly and talk about 
T-H-T. I told you he was good. He did. So, <laughs> Taylor Horton Tucker, over his last three games, I understand small sample size, whatever, but over the last three games since him coming off the bench, THT is averaging 17.6 points on 58% from the field, hitting 5 of 12 from 3. 41% from 3. Granted, he hit 3 in the last game versus Memphis, but still, he's been actually hitting 3s in his last three games. 4 assists a game, which is great, and then 1.3 steals. And so... Taylor Horton Tucker has found a groove, understandably, off the bench where he's been allowed to handle the ball more. He's been allowed to be put in these pick-and-roll actions where he can screen for the he can screen the guy with the ball or he can be the guy with the ball making those decisions. And it just, I think, just in terms of decision-making, he looks miles better from where we were at even like a week ago when he was so nervous. And you can tell like the pressure was eating away at him and he did not know what to do on any given possession. In fact, it was very Cal Kuzma-esque, right? Especially rookie Cal Kuzma. Or actually not rookie Cal Kuzma, but Cal Kuzma's first season being on a competitive team, right? And him not knowing what to do, him telegraphing plays, him premeditating his own moves. That was THT just a week ago. But my biggest thing and something that I'll, I'll always credit THT for is how quickly he picks things up, how he doesn't get down on himself, even when it looks so, so terrible and people are calling for his head, calling for him to be traded. Keep in mind that we have seen th- like three or four different iterations of THT in this season alone, and he missed like the first month of the season. He's 21 years old and his ability to adapt, change on the fly, soak up information and not get down and then immediately, immediately string off like three games like this where he already shows the improvement and what you've been asking of him. To me, that's very promising. So what are your thoughts on THT? THT, I agree with you. And and look, I was one of the people a couple weeks ago um, who was saying like, this dude is, I don't know, I'm not saying he's going to suck forever. Obviously, he's 21, but he is objectively playing horrific basketball right now. And mm-hmm. unless that turns around quickly, he can't play more minutes on this team that is desperate to win games. But there was a change that happened, okay, in that game where we played uh, Portland. And you sort of saw him, and it's only been two games, so like we'll see what happens. But you sort of saw his mindset just sort of change coming off the bench. It felt a lot less passive i i guess um, is what mm-hmm. i'm thinking and it felt a lot more like i'm going to impose my will on this game um and i'm going to you know or maybe sacramento is what i'm thinking of but regardless i'm you know i'm gonna come in and i'm going to be aggressive and aggressive doesn't mean out of control aggressive means i'm gonna be assertive and i'm gonna do what i need to do when i go up to the rim I'm going to finish strong and all these things just sort of flipped in, in a matter of like a day. And I don't know if it's because, you know, we were playing, um, you know, there were some rumors coming out that we Lakers were thinking about trading him for Cam Reddish or whatever, you know what I mean? But whatever it was, THT has really, really, um, responded and the three point shooting it is what it is. It's it's going to be inconsistent. He did hit three threes against Memphis uh, and shot 50%. And, and he's at least hit a three in three straight games now after missing like 18 in a row or some absurd stat like that. But 
that is what it is, and you kind of live with that. But if he can play engaged on defense, which I think he has been doing more as well the last couple of games, if he can attack the rim with a purpose and try to finish and not like get there and throw up this like weak stuff, this is all like what we were hoping to see from him before the season started. And he's dealt with weird injuries. He was, you know, came back from that thumb surgery that was sort of just a horrific luck thing and had a few good games to start after he came back when LeBron was hurt and then went on a really long stretch of just playing awful, just to be honest. And he's sort of turned it on again now. And, and I just, you know, I just think that THT has a lot of potential still. Um, and, and I'm just sort of excited to see where his career continues to go and, and how he continues to grow as a player, because he's a guy who this year could be extremely, extremely effective for us off the bench. If he, continues to play with this high level of energy that he's had the last two or three games in a row at this point. Yeah. And I think for me, the the most encouraging part and the thing that I hold on to is, you know, the, the, the terrible, terrible stretch that he was on before uh, he went out for COVID and shortly after he came back from the, the health and safety protocols thing. I think the, that type of experience and how terrible he played would have got into most players, right? And totally buried them for the rest of the season. But I'm encouraged that this 21-year-old, even with everything levied against him, including the trade rumors, just responded. And he acted like a veteran. He all of a sudden regained his superpowers and was like, oh yeah, I'm strong. I'm a physical unicorn. Let me bump, 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 get the contact against people and play with purpose and kind of the game sort of slowed down for him these last few games whenever he drives because it's not wild it's not like he premeditates what he's going to do what who he's going to pass to him jumping off two feet it's almost all of a sudden like oh yeah I have these long limbs for a reason I can bump people off for a reason um without it looking like an egregious offensive foul let me do that let me pump fake I have this ability this insane weird innate ability to contort my body and still finish in the lane amidst traffic let me try that you know so it's like the game slowed down for him and it's just been, yeah, it's just been really cool to see it kind of a young dude sort of grow on the fly here. And I think those types of guys you don't easily give up on if you can afford not to give up on them, you know? So that's kind of where I'll, I'll leave it with THT and I'll bring up a really random analogy just because it's fresh in my mind. And my girlfriend and I are working our way through all of the Spider-Man movies so that we can eventually watch the No Way Home. I've already seen it. She hasn't seen it yet, so she's not sure what's to come, but we recently watched um, Spider-Man Homecoming. So the first one with Tom Holland, right? Yeah. And in that movie, Iron Man gives him a new suit with all the bells and whistles and stuff. And he ends up just fucking around with the suit and like causing more damage than good. And there's this pivotal moment where Iron Man's like, give me back the suit, dude. And Tom Holland kind of cries and is like, yo, I need the suit. I'm nothing without the suit. And and Iron Man tells him, if you're nothing without the suit, then you don't deserve the suit. And he pretty much has to go the, re- the length of the way of the movie, the final third act, without the Iron Man, Spider-Man suit. Um, and he has to just kind of regain like mental focus of who he is as a person and as 
you know, Peter Parker slash Spider-Man and find a way to make things work. And I think kind of weird analogy, I know, but I think that's kind of what THT has done here, where in a stretch that could have buried him, going 0 for 8 from 3, like shooting 1 for 13 in a game, having all these fans be like, this guy's done. This guy's a finished product. Like, you know, we, 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 we've got nothing in him. We, we paid him $10 million, all this, that. Like, that's the type of stuff that can bury a mentally fragile player. And it didn't for THT. Again, it's only three games. He's going to be an inconsistent player where we are going to have our peaks and valleys again for sure. But I just like in these small sample sizes that we see him respond in the right way to adversity. So um, with that said, we'll leave it there. There are some positive things happening with the Lakers. We just want to see those things now click against you know actual competitive teams because even during our four-game win streak, they were against bad teams or badly injured teams uh, who were dealing with you know, several, you know, uh, problems, whether it's health and safety protocols or just injured guys who are out. But um, we're headed in the right direction. THT's headed in the right direction. Austin Reeves, my God, 16 points last game, led the late comeback charge, bringing the effort. He's actually surprisingly shooting 36% from three. I believe he just needs to maintain confidence and continue to get the volume up because he is a good shooter. He needs to continue to believe himself, believe in himself in that respect. But, um, Overall, Austin Reeves, he's been like our glue guy, high IQ, great fundamentals, and he just clicks into every unit you put him in. And so we're glad to have Austin Reeves back. And yeah, hopefully Malik Monk and THT can continue to ride this positive momentum because LeBron James is going to need him. Uh, Hopefully Russell Westbrook continues to not turn the ball over like he has been doing, but also combine that with an aggressive nature of being able to finish at the rim, et cetera, and not, you know, mope and uh, pity himself. But with that said, I think things are trending in the right direction. We should have Kendrick Nunn back in maybe like a week or so. And man, that's going to be, it's going to be really fun to see Nunn play with this dynamic group of guards and this small ball unit. So there are a lot of things to look forward to. We just hope the Lakers stay the course. And yeah, with that said, we will catch you guys next time. And Tommy, I will see you later. Peace. Laters. Laters on the Menji.